0: uh, My only question with China Mobile and most China stocks is can you trust the accounting and like, can you trust the figures that they're actually reporting? As the old saying goes, no one's ever gone wrong by buying a Chinese stock.
1: This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougles, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Uh,
0: I pulled up a couple things. Let me pull up one more thing. What's on your agenda today?
1: So very honestly, I was sitting around uh, earlier this week and uh, and I realized I really don't know how you put together. I, I consistently mock what you do. And consistently call it garbage. Yeah, I, I don't actually know what like how you put together what you put together. And I just thought it'd be interesting uh, to kind of break that down and understand how you look at, um, how you look at what you pick. I, I, I call it sifting through the garbage is, is what I think about
0: as your model. But uh, you let me know. Oh, it, it's deep value. It's absolutely trash. I mean, um, and throw all the insults you want at me because uh, I'm ready for it let me do one thing before we get to that we can come back to this all right you realize robert Schiller, your boy right um my boy r shills i think like in the 1970s or something i should fact check all this or maybe this is a podcast where we're light on fact checks um <laughs> okay he came out with a 10-year rolling average of pe basically and he came up with a fancy name <laughs> cape <laughs> for <a> cyclically adjusted. <laughs> And and he like, you know, I I know he wrote a book, but to me, that's what I was doing all the week. I was laughing at the fact that basically because he's a Yale professional and he put decent branding on a 10 year rolling average. He became like this market genius who people go to um, for insights when it's product marketing, man. Yeah, it is. And I don't, I love the guy. I like his books. I'm not trying to talk trash. I just think it's hilarious because there was some dude sitting around in 1965 that's like, oh, maybe I should look at a rolling average on this and make some conclusions. And he just never branded it. So this is a whole nother episode. But uh, isn't that kind of, am I the only one that thinks that's a little funny? Um, I, I do think
1: it's funny, but you know, what's a, a nugget of brilliance? I would say that's in that is that um, many things that are what I'll call profound are incredibly simple. And it's, it's recognizing the beauty and the simplicity that is that has a brilliance. I'm not saying that's necessarily even what he did, but I think it might be given that he's a like a smart dude that no
0: one used it for that purpose. Yeah, uh, uh, no, um, gosh. Play that one back five times. Like you just nailed it. I love that. So the thing that got me going today, although I think we want to talk about deep value, but um he did an update to his model where he more explicitly takes in interest rates, and it's super fascinating. And um I think we get into the debate here. Have you seen these articles or Danny send them your way? I forget if I sent them your way. I've read a couple so, things. I think you might have sent me a couple too,
1: but I've read a few okay. things about that. This was like two months ago, right? Two or three months ago that
0: Stuff uh, well, out about he's it. calling it excess cape yield. Um, yep. yeah. And super fascinating because uh gosh, back five years, Meb Favor has been going on about Cape in the US. Well, all smart people have been going on about Cape in the US, right? And the counter arguments are many, but one is accounting metrics have changed, which certainly plays a role. Another is uh basically interest rates and so the Schiller adjustment for interest rates says that the market isn't nearly as overvalued the u.s market as obviously just the straight cape would but um to me this is like you get into a chicken and egg argument every time your model is consistently wrong for years which i wouldn't say the cape model is wrong but the expected long-term annualized real returns have not been predictive in the past three years because it's basically said there's a high probability that the U.S. stock market will fall when the stock market has gone up right so um i really like what he did with the model i think it's a pretty fair representation of where we currently sit and i think interest rates are a big deal but i think you can make a counterbalance to his update that says you're just grasping at straws because what you have said historically is right is now wrong and so you're updating things to say this is what the model looks like now
1: i also think that uh interest rates being like a a macro indicator they're going to change when the fed decides that the macro <laughs> needs to change and so it's like that's a, it's a very moment in time so if even if let's just say that um it's legit this shift is legit yeah. and you say they're they're now not overvalued this year but then if interest rates change in 6 months which i'm not saying the fed's going to do that cuz they said they're not going to but now in that moment they like that's not it's not quite intrinsic enough
0: right if if that makes sense
1: like there's something well
0: that, yeah go ahead no that's a super interesting point that i hadn't thought about um, if you go back to the standard cape uh, earnings in 2008 were so drastically down um, in the great financial crisis that for years after that, for the whole decade after 2008, people said, Oh, well, if you're looking at Schiller Cape, um, what happened in 2008 is skewing your numbers so significantly that you can't believe it, you know? So, um, in a way I think that stuff happens, but I guess I just haven't seen it. in the past five years. dougles. Have you seen crazy interest rate movement, um, at a, at a point in time? I mean, they've, done some significant cuts uh no i mean s- since uh the 2008 situation it's like it's just been
1: drunk on qe yeah you know it's like bob costas was saying that there should be um an asterisk next to like the 1990s 2000s um baseball stats and like stop kicking people out of the mlb and just like put an asterisk and say like this was the time of steroids right like I think we just need to do that for the past like twelve years of the market too. Like it's just QE QE QE, right? Um, and so when 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 the entire macro is being puppeteered, it's it's hard to look at uh, this in comparison to some other
0: times. Yeah, but what the difference there is, you're the one hitting home runs, right, with your stock picks. So you, do you want to asterisk next Googles. to your performance return? <laughs> I mean, um. Yeah. So do you want to get into that process or do you just want to talk value investing in general or all of the above? Uh, maybe it'd be good to start by uh, defining
1: what value investing is like to you. Like what, when you say value investing, what do you mean? Uh, and then more of the, the macro, how do you think about it? And then how do, you, how do you approach picking?
0: I'm going to cause some controversies here. So a lot of people think of... Uh, when they think value investing, they think Warren Buffett. And then they think Charlie Munger. And the reason for that in my eyes is because for the last 30 years, you hear about how successful Buffett is and you hear, and then you hear some tilt on value and then you do your studies and you realize that right now the stuff Buffett buys is very uh, rarely like deep value, right? So, um, Buffett's teacher, Ben Graham, who I'm sure the podcast listeners are familiar with, is often called the father of value investing. That's the type of value investing that I uh, support. Um, We can talk, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty about how not necessarily Buffett has lost his way, but Buffett's not a deep value investor currently. And the simplest version of that story in my eyes is simply, he has too much money to be, right? So, it, what Amazon he can buy, value
1: at his like it's yeah, a combination uh, of yeah
0: yeah i mean saying. yeah so uh and there's the seize candy thing and everything else about how he's moved towards quality and and that's a different discussion but if you're let's say you're investing less than 100 million dollars which i would think most of our listeners are investing you still have the opportunity to invest in deep value stuff i'm talking market caps uh 400 million and below and uh it's pretty well accepted that there's uh, less efficiency in the market if you're, a, if you're a believer that markets are efficient, the smaller the um, investment, like there's less analysts covering that, there's less institutional money, everything else. So, um, are you talking, tip- sorry to interrupt, are you
1: talking liquidity? Is that what you mean? When you say efficiency, what do you? Yeah, I'm really talking the
0: efficient market hypothesis, right? Yeah. Okay. And like economic theory, you're using it yeah. like in that term. Right. Okay. Um, and what that says is whatever the current price of your security and and go for like the world's biggest security, like Apple might be the most followed company in the world right now. Uh, it says there's so much smart money there that the price is right. Yeah, What it's currently valued at it takes in future expectations and everything we know about it. Um, and I disagree with that. Um, I'm not an efficient market hypothesis guy because if you're an investor in individual stocks, I don't think you can be. Um, Again, that's probably a thing for another episode. But if you're not buying, like one of my holdings right now is a a company called Hooker Furniture. I think the market cap's in the hundreds of millions range. Uh, I should pull pull it up because it's been a while since I did a deep dive. No one would argue that um, that is priced as efficiently as Apple. I don't think because who cares about hooker furniture besides me, right? Nobody. So if you tie the record, all back. I, I don't for the record. <laughs> good. You shouldn't because it's doubled since I bought it and therefore it's no longer a good investment, but right. You go all the way back to the intelligent investor and Ben Graham lays out some very clear um, investing methodologies that make perfect sense to me. Um, it's things like, it, he basically gives you a quantitative screen for deep value investments. Right. And I won't go through all the details, but it's lots of cash on hand. It's low price to book, low price to earnings. We can talk about how those metrics aren't the best and they should evolve and they have evolved. Um, it's consistent dividends. Uh, it's growing dividends. It's all these things that you look at the research and dividend growth, investing outperforms the market. Right. Um, Companies with low debt to equity typically outperform the market, or at the very least, are basically impossible to go bankrupt, right? So you have all these metrics. Jump in question. here. I got a question for you. So um, even,
1: even at the level of detail you just gave that, uh, I could see where that makes sense, that if something is low on all those variables, aside from dividend, high on dividends, low on all the other valuation yeah. variables, you can say jump in. But how do you, how do you think about where they should be? right? Is this like a reversion to the mean type situation? Or, or where? Why is it not I have low PE
0: today, and I will always have low PE? Or how do you think about that side of it? Yeah, um, I think of this as human behavior, arbitrage, and and absolute mean reversion. And you're, you're way ahead of me. Because I don't think of this necessarily as this company that I'm buying, that's a deep value stock is like, um bound to have multiple expansion, meaning their PE goes from 10 to 20, right? That happens in range-bound markets, but that's not my bet. My bet is more human behavior has taken this equity out of favor for one reason or another. And I almost don't care why, but I know that mean reversion will happen because eventually, I mean, you see it right now. So you can buy Tesla at a PE of, I don't know, hundreds, or you can start looking elsewhere. And eventually, you're going to find my stocks and go, wait, there's no debt, Um, super cheap, super consistent cash flows, positive cash flow for 10 years, um, increasing dividends, like, oh, my goodness, this is not sexy. Um, And I understand why it's hated. But I'll take these consistent cash flows any day. So it's the mean reversion piece that I'm really after here. So were the stocks once up? And we're now down,
1: or are they they re, or are they reverting to the mean of the overall market, or are they reverting yeah. to the mean of themselves
0: I mean you mean am I catching falling knives or not um, right I'd say yeah, in a lot of cases, they were up previously and then down um, and so they're they're hated it, it, in general, the stocks that I'm buying are hated stocks that are super cheap that have Basically zero risk of going bankrupt. Okay, hmm. interesting. And, and so what I see, um, gosh, I've been doing this basically since two thousand seven. Um, some sort of methodology here, based in that gra- uh those Graham fundamentals, and um, you might buy ten stocks a year, uh, something like that, and typically, you know, seven of those go up. I don't know, five to twenty percent. One or two of them go up 50 to 100% and a couple go down 30% or 50% or whatever. But by the time you take that aggregate, you're up 15% a year on average, um, somewhere in that range. Um, And it's a really fruitful investment style. But, you know, we've talked about this before. And I think the thing that makes it right for me is I lose absolutely no sleep knowing that i'm buying a company with those sort of fundamentals it feels like i'm going to um gosh like some garage sale and buying some guys patagonia jacket um that like is not used at all for 70 percent off because i know i can unload that i can unload that jacket for like and make 10 bucks or i can sit on that jacket for 20 years i might be able to sell the thing for a thousand bucks i I hope that analogy makes any sense to It may it may not, but like I'm perfectly happy owning these companies. So in a down year or two, um, I just looked at performance and in the past six years, I've actually lost money with the strategy two years, but it's no sweat. You know, like I lost three percent. Um, I just know that happens. Historically, this sort of investing style uh makes money seven out of ten years and uh outperforms the market pretty handsomely over the long term, but the last uh at least five years if not 10 years have been pretty tough for value in general so it hasn't been uh killing it in the last five years
1: interesting thanks for breaking that down it's a it's helpful i because i the in uh in our conversations like i've gotten spurts right of how you think about that but uh i just hadn't heard more so we can can keep that that train going i one thing that just popped in my mind about losing sleep i um And this also, this ties back to your uh, investing is contradictory statement, which I I do think is, I think it's a really interesting uh, framing is so, you know, I've been shouting from whatever rooftop or soapbox anyone will give me that, uh, that everything's about to fall apart. Um, Please pick up my book, things fall apart. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) um, And so as I'm screaming that, do you know, do you know what I'm about to buy in mass quantity on Monday?
0: I'm terrified a 2x qqq etf <laughs> uh cuz it met your
1: screen or what yeah that's that's exactly why that thing popped out and i went
0: oh god it was like a punch in the face but i'm buying it all right so let's uh because I think the listeners would benefit to understand both of our backgrounds and investing style. So give me, it doesn't have to be as long as mine was, because we probably lost like 50% of our audience as I talked about deep value, but give our listeners a a high level overview of what's popping up in your quantitative screen um, right after this quote. Okay. So this is from my boy cliff at AQR and uh, his latest piece is called a gut punch, a gut punch. Um, He says this, which ties into the investing being contradictory thing. He says, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Yet, amazingly, over even multiple years, that's exactly what we do in investing and that's exactly what we should do. Um, That popped up for me and I just... So first of all, he's so freaking brilliant um, that I always think it's worth reading his stuff. But second of all, That this is the one place where like Einstein screaming from the rooftops that you're insane for doing the same thing over and over, I would argue is actually wrong because the mean reversion strategy I just talked about, like eventually it's going to work, but it's the people that say, oh gosh, I tried this for three years and it didn't work. Now I'm going to jump to the, like, let's just say you're buying mutual funds, right? I bought this mutual fund for three years because the previous three years performance was awesome. And it reverted to the mean, I lost money. So now I'm going to throw my money into the one that performed great over the last three years. Well, guess what's going to happen. You're going to lose money again. So tell me about your quantitative strategy and why you are puking at what you have to buy um, on Monday. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Basically, once a
1: year, at the turn of the year, calendar year, I um I look at the stocks that have been consistently performing well against the market and are also showing strong momentum over the last decade. So it's a, I think of it as like a
0: long trend momentum strategy. Um, what's uh, what's positive momentum over the last decade? Like what sort of gains are we talking about?
1: Um, so I, I look at a uh, rel- strength relative to the market. So percentage gains, I don't necessarily know, but you have to be able to beat the market pretty consistently. And so it's, yeah. it's soundly, um, but I also put a cap on it. So you can't have beaten the market over your life by eight X, but you basically have to have beaten the market by at least three X. So you're kind of sitting in that, that time period between five and 20 years. Cause you have to be at least five. It's hard to make it in if you've only, if you're only five years old. Right. But uh, it cuts out a lot of the um, like the real high end stuff. Right, like a like Tesla would not be in there because it's it's too big. Um, I'm actually selling um Netflix and Amazon uh on Monday too, because they're they're now disqualified because they're too big um, so yeah, but that that's it long trend momentum, three to eight x the market basically
0: oh i love so first of all, I love that you're selling that expensive crap. Uh, <laughs> but uh no, so that's such a a sound um concise definition you've talked about your model more frequently than i've talked about mine as i uh, stumbled through mine could you talk about how you came up with that strategy like kind of what you read and the research you went through that made you think that's kind of the sweet spot um it so a lot of it was uh was just looking at my own belief system
1: Right. Um, and where, where I started initially was mostly on the value bucket. I mean, you remember conversations that we've had in the past, where I would look at price to book, and look at things that, um, that were close to their lowest price to book in history for, for themselves. Um, and I, so I started looking at that. And uh, as I was doing backtesting on that, just said it, like it didn't, at least the way I was executing on it, like wasn't really panning out very well for me. Um, so then I started saying, well, what, uh, what does make sense? Like qualitative to me, qualitatively to me. And what made sense to me is that um, generally like markets go up. Right. And so, um, and most stocks follow the market, like 75% of stocks, like generally follow the market. So if the market generally goes up and stocks generally follow the market, then let me think about like, what are the stocks that are showing progress? Um, I also combine that with uh, the, I used to be a researcher, right. With, uh, with Jim and Um, And so I also have this belief that their companies have a capability to be built like pretty strongly uh, and last over time. And so I I put those two things together and basically said, if you're showing that you can consistently beat the market over long periods of time, then I'm just going to believe this is a bit blindly because I don't dive deeply in these companies before I decide to buy them. But I'm just going to believe that you've built something that the market recognizes at least as being strong consistently over time. And I'm going to follow that. And so that's, that's the, that's kind of how I came up with it. But then, um, and then I, I've like read things to, to figure out, like, does it make sense to people that quote unquote, know what they're doing? Right. Um, like you, you've sent me some things over. There's that, uh, um, what was it Wes? What's a
0: uh, alpha Wes, architect guy? Yeah. A Wes Gray. Um, yeah. And quantitative momentum is the book um, for sure. Yeah. So read that. And
1: one of the things there were some like interesting nuggets that I took out of that for sure. Uh, one of them going to your belief that it's about the investor, uh, investor philosophy to investor, like relationship that matters a lot is yeah. that, uh, the, this thing has done well over like 12 months. Therefore, I think it's great. Like that doesn't like that doesn't work for me. Like that just feels, it feels too much like I'm playing a game. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so that's, that's how I came up with it
0: in short. I love it. And that's why, uh, that's why skippy and Dougals are together we have uh, a lot of similar beliefs and and some different investment uh, philosophies but uh hopefully we can bring some good debates your way
1: i mean we if, if we we always find something to debate on so even if the topic is something we agree on we're gonna find we're gonna find a way yeah. i uh you want to know what kind of garbage i'm getting into next year i think i am you know i've already previewed this um I think this is going to be uh, if you have an HBO Max account, this season two of the undoing is going to be people watching my portfolio um, over the next 12 months. I'm I'm fairly confident in uh, so, but I'm still, but I, you know, I'm going, I'm going in. Um, this is what
0: I'm here for. Actually, the uh, Dougal's uh, movie and TV recommendations. But <laughs> let me just talk about it because uh, with your backtesting on momentum that you know, I, I haven't done a ton of research on momentum because it just, like like you're saying, it's a sweet spot for you. You're comfortable with it. It's easy for you to sleep at night. It's not necessarily that for me. Um, but what I've seen is occasionally when time get tough and momentum, they get really tough, meaning you can lose a lot of money really fast. Um, have you witnessed that in your back testing? And do you have like, Stop gaps in place. You it could be things like automatic sales if things fall thirty percent or something like that. No, nothing like that. I've played
1: around with a little bit of that. I haven't gone too deep, but I don't have anything like that. I uh, the only time that I quote unquote rebalance or recalibrate is at the beginning of the year. So if I'm if I'm buying a stock, it's like I'm gonna have it for the year. Is where it currently sits. Um, yeah. That that might adjust over time, but yeah, I mean it's uh, let's see. So I'm doing this off the top of my head, So, I but I, I can pull something up that actually will make me not do this off the top of my head. But it, it basically um, beats the market, at least historically, right? Going back 60 years, uh, roughly, um, about 65% of the time, uh, something like that. Yeah, which um, is
0: interesting because six- that's similar to the, the value approach where I was saying seven out of 10 years. I might've said it wrong previously, but that's beats the market seven out of 10. Um,
1: it's got some like you were some significant drawdowns, but not that frequently. Um, so like I'm capable of of sleeping at night, but like in the there are times you can you'd expect, right? Like uh the mid-70s, not all that
0: great. Um, <laughs> that's that's the soundbite right there. I'm capable of sleeping at night. <laughs> I, I don't sleep a lot, but I'm capable of it. It's not it's not because of this. By the way, uh <laughs> disclaimer none of this is investing advice i'm sure (laughs) that's what we talked nothing about nothing but our portfolios um nothing so
1: nothing says this is not investing advice more than someone saying that the season two of the undoing is going to be their portfolio (laughs) over the next year like if you take that as investing advice then you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself
0: uh let's talk tax consequences because there's two things you do that i've moved away from uh, one is I don't mess with January typically in terms of my portfolio, my rebalance, because I feel like everyone's doing it and it's just a little messy. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong, but have you thought about picking a different time of year when things, when it's not like all the institutions doing the exact same thing? I have, I have, I've thought about it. I haven't, um, I haven't executed on
1: anything like that yet, but yeah, but, I, but I've thought about it.
0: You might want to read this book. You might not. Our listeners, I'm sure, will want to read this book. It's called "You Can Be a Stock Market Genius" by Joel Greenblatt. Um, have you ever heard of it, Douglas? I've heard of Joel, but I don't.
1: I don't think I've heard of the book.
0: Yeah. So, worst title ever. A uh, pretty good book. He runs a very simple quantitative strategy that destroys the market. Um, and you guys can read the book for that. But there's two really interesting insights. Two things that he hammers on. The first thing he hammers on way too much, like he says this every third sentence in the book if I remember right, which I guarantee I don't remember right. Uh, So if you are up, if you're doing a yearly strategy and you are up, uh, you should sell at like the 366th day or later because then you pay long-term capital gains tax because you own it for more than one year. If you are down, theoretically you should sell at the 364th day because then you get short-term test capital gains you get to take more of that loss to tax credits so i'm just curious if you're doing anything like that
1: no but i, I i've thought about that the uh the way i've kind of um this is like a maybe a zoomed out version of what you're just you're, you're talking about thematically here but instead of um like looking at the way things perform on December 31st, whether I should just do it even a few days earlier so I can make that choice. Because in yeah. the world in which, you know, the market closes on December 31st and then I look at everything, I, I don't have an option um, of doing that. But yeah, that's, it's something to think about.
0: Well, and you're, listen, your model's so good that you're always going to be up so you don't really have to do the analysis. But devalue investors like me, we, we lose money sometimes. So, you know. I, even I when I'm analysis. down, I'm up, you know. <laughs> You said like 96% of
1: your portfolio is <laughs> Ethereum and 4% is deep value stocks. And the rest is Starburst. Um, uh, yeah. When do you, do, do you, I can't, sorry if I already asked you this, but uh, do you buy throughout the year or do you, when do you look at that? Yeah,
0: so uh, uh, typically I'm running uh yearly rebalancing call it, um, but it's uh Gosh, I think I started in May and because of that tax strategy, I think I'm already like now in October over the course of the decade plus that I've been doing it. You know, like I'll let it slip a a few days here or there. Um, So, yeah, eventually I will be in that January time frame, but I'll quickly move to the February time frame. And so it's it's pretty relaxed. Let's see what else is on the agenda today. I'm looking through my uh no two so like two two things that are top of mind for me
1: um one is i want to talk about that uh that table that i sent over to you if you're down to talk about that which was the the percent of uh professional investors Ooh, that yeah, don't beat that their um don't beat their benchmark and the other one is chinese telcos I like that. so I, I i have a position in uh disclaimer I have a position in China Mobile, and I'm incredibly curious as to what's about to occur uh, Monday morning.
0: Okay, so you choose the order. I haven't done the research on China Mobile. How about you give us a quick investment hypothesis and a little more detail there? Yeah, so China Mobile
1: uh, is the it's the largest mobile carrier in China, which makes it basically the largest mobile carrier in the world, yeah. effectively. Um, uh, down like thirty percent this year. I picked it up uh, in August September. Um, so while it was down pays about a seven percent dividend, and the main hypothesis is it's big in china and five g like that that's basically what it is like it's huge in china um they're gonna own a bunch of five g networks and and down a bunch, and I like the dividend so that was that was effectively like wait, a wait, broad wait. hypothesis
0: quick timeout you're a momentum investor that that has a quantitative strategy three x to eight x and and this is a falling knife um and uh and you like it, you're just you just got like kind of to scratch it.
1: a little itch sometimes. So 85% oh, yeah. of our 85% of our portfolio is follows the model. And then 15% is us picking bad stocks.
0: Oh, this is okay, so I love this and this is maybe something we'll talk about for a future episode, but um I am such an advocate of the I t- I typically tell people 5 to 10%, but whatever, you're 15% like I mean, some people will call them lot of ticket stocks. Some people will call them scratching an inch. But I think that's super important in uh, healthy investing. Like, if you're interested in it at all, if you at all are going to play with the individual stocks, I think uh, I love your approach there. So, okay, I get it now. China Mobile, uh, that's an easy hypothesis to get behind, right? Lots of people growing wealth. And uh, uh, my only question with China Mobile and most China stocks is, can you trust the accounting and like, can you trust the figures that they're actually reporting? As the old saying
1: goes, no one's ever gone wrong by buying a Chinese stock.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, Perfect. So what's going to happen Monday with China Mobile?
1: Uh, Nothing positive. I mean, so, so basically the, uh, so those that haven't read, um, Trump signed something a few weeks ago, maybe like six weeks ago, basically saying that, uh, sometime by November of next year, uh, Chinese companies that, that aren't, aren't following some rules need to, um, get off yeah. the, the market yeah. then on, uh, but Friday, like after close on Friday, yesterday, or not Friday, Thursday, um, after market close, the New York stock exchange came out and said, um, China mobile and two other Chinese, big Chinese telcos are going to be delisted. Um, by January 11th, so like yeah, that's that's like a before it was a maybe sometime in the next year something could occur, and now it's a sometime in the next week <laughs> like something will occur, um, and so Monday I I can't see any situation in which people are not in a mass sell off Monday morning like I I don't know why they wouldn't.
0: Dude you bought a stock that's going to be delisted in 11 days. Nice work, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: Just, <laughs> just going hard. I'm like Leroy Jenkins. Do you remember that meme? No,
0: I didn't see that one. I I'll, I'll send that. it
1: over. I'll send it over to you.
0: Um, all right. Well, there's your uh, listen. There's your lesson in a lot of ticket stocks for the week. We'll send you. We'll send you another one next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was not investment advice. Again, all all of my non investment advice <laughs> is me buying ridiculous ridiculousness. So, um,
0: what about that table? And, you going to talk about the table? All right. This chart. Uh, yeah, this chart appears. Uh, at least once a year and people go oh i can't believe this to be true um right so give us the high level breakdown since you're more articulate than me uh, What we're looking at here the high level so this chart is one that shows the
1: percent of professional money managers um that lose to their benchmark um on a like one year and then multi-year basis and effectively the high level takeaway is uh, the vast majority of professional investors don't beat their benchmark, and the longer the time horizon, the more of them don't beat the benchmark.
0: So by yes, the time you're getting man. to
1: 15 years out, like 90% of professional investors are are missing, missing the mark, basically.
0: Right. So these numbers um, in one year, let's say you're looking at large cap funds versus S and P 500, one year about 70% uh, are underperforming the benchmark, and then yeah. 15 years out, 90%. I mean, this is the argument for index funds, um, the tried and true argument. And uh, while we don't give investment advice on the pod, you should know, um, novice or advanced listeners, that index funds, ETFs, uh, are probably the best instrument for most investors, even though we're going to talk about individual stocks here. I mean, there's a lot of factors going on here, right? So a lot of these funds aren't necessarily engineered to beat the market right well i think if you by definition if you have a benchmark if if the numbers
1: i i I hear there's tons of factors in this but the numbers should be close to like 50 percent or something like that if if you because you should be around the benchmark right if
0: if that's your benchmark okay so one yes uh most people suck at active investing so let let me just i don't want to sound like i'm defending uh the institutions here but um i think what happens is the other uh, the other approach i think they they work to assign a benchmark to everything even though sometimes that benchmark is stretched. and then i'd also like to see the re- return disbursement here because there's a lot of things that that even might try to track the benchmark that have some trading costs built in, that have some tax costs built in, that might be like uh, a half a percent below the benchmark performance, simply because of some friction that's created and trying to recreate that, right? So I would say that SPY probably underperforms the benchmark by, I don't know, a basis point or two, even though it's trying to track the benchmark. You know what, you know my point there, like, let me just repeat it back to you and make sure I am here, what you're saying,
1: you're saying that you could, you can technically um, classify a fund as not beating their benchmark, if they're even a dollar less than what the benchmark would have produced. And so it's, it's important to understand like how, how, how badly you're, you're missing it with, with that. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah. With that, so what, what I find most interesting about this is not even the, um, the numbers themselves, but it's the, the longer the time horizon, the more that don't. And you can if you take your other point and compound it, then you can say, sure, I, I get that. But it's fascinating that when you get to the 15-year mark, that it's 90-plus percent that are not beating the benchmark. Like I, As a professional investor, I would expect that the longer-term time horizon is what you are generally after. I know. I know. I know. But I'm I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Is if I were someone that was looking to get um some financial services going on, like this would make me go uh well, may, maybe not, right? Like it it doesn't um but I'm not the other one of the other factors I think you could probably throw in is saying that if you're somebody that has like a a boatload of money and you have a financial advisor that your goal is not to maximize returns. Your goal is to preserve wealth for the most part. And you just want something that's not going to lose you money, but that earns something in which case you're not going to beat your benchmark. However, semicolon. Uh, however.
0: Okay. This is why it's like, you're making, it's like you're making an argument for deep value investing here. No, this is why the institutional, or this is why the individual investor has a, massive advantage over a lot of institutional investors so what happens in those 15-year returns of these funds that aren't beating their benchmark is you go through multiple managers i mean i'm speaking with broad strokes here but like one guy comes in and he has crappy performance for five years he's probably getting shown the door that's you talked about the You know, you don't get fired by an IBM. Well, that guy was probably buying IBM and whatever else to try and not get fired. But IBM wasn't outperforming the benchmark, you know, like and so then and think about what happens when your ETF or mutual fund underperforms the S&P 500. Uh, People take cash out and go to other places. Your fund struggles. And so you either switch managers or maybe you shut down the fund. And then if you switch managers, I I just, uh, I see this as fairly, it's, I I think this is mostly human behavior related. And I totally understand why it gets worth performance with 50 years or over 15 years. Cause the Peter Lynch's of the world are very few and far between. And they're 10% of the funds. Like that's just how it works. Um, everyone else is highly cyclical um, and has a really tough job. Like as an active manager of a fund, there's so much more than just performance that matters to you basically keeping your job. And then on top of that, Uh, So few managers actually invest money in the funds that they manage. And that tells you all you need to know about their beliefs and their funds potential. What happens to an
1: industry where there are passive indexes that are cheaper, easier to access, where you can self-service when 90%
0: of the rest of it is losers? Oh, well, I mean, this, the active passive debate has been going on for at least a decade. And actually, I feel like really heated up in maybe 2018. And then it's cooled off a little bit because right now the debate is about how expensive U.S. stocks are and how crazy, like the performance has been in 2020, despite all the headwinds. Right. Um, But yeah, that's a, we might kick that to another episode because there's a massive, there has been a a multi-year debate. A decade long debate going on about active passive now i think most of the smart quants believe that ultimately the more that goes to passive the more opportunities there are um for active like there's more opportunities for arbitrage but again for your average investor um it's hard to argue against index funds at this point in time especially with these numbers yeah i mean but so That's not what happens, whether it's uh, self-directed investing via like a 401k, or even you're working with a financial advisor. um, Very few of those people are buying Spy and uh, whatever else. They're all buying, oh, check out this flavor of this, or hey, I like Netflix, so I want a fund that has more exposure to high tech or whatever else. I, people fall into this trap over and over and over again, and we'll continue to. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's just it's it's crazy
1: that you can look at some not you, but one can look at something like this and then dive in. But humans do that all the time. Remember last oh, yeah. time we were talking about people often do what's in their worst interest. So,
0: yeah, yeah. when you were dropping
1: all, knowledge, although that that same person most likely, if they traded their own account, would do worse. <laughs> so, if uh, you know, if if you can't, you need to be able to manage yourself.
0: Yeah, actually. Oh, do I have a quote on this? I I have another quote for you. Um, Where are all these quotes coming from? Is this your book of of rhymes? Just my brain. You know how you accused me of not having notes yesterday? I actually have notes today. Um, So what's so funny is I I only read these names. I never have to say these names because I never find people nerdy enough to talk about this. So Jason Swag is that how you say it from the Wall Street Journal? I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh so sorry Jason you're great and I love reading your stuff and um he he was saying there's a bit, debate going on a couple of weeks ago um about basically the how much performance is based on human behavior versus how much performance is based on your actual stock picks and his go to um is how investors behave is more important than how their investments behave and I just I can't uh echo that enough right um, this behavior piece is massive and it's the majority of what's going on. And that's why you and I have both, um, we've leaned on a quantitative strategy and we've leaned on a yearly rebalance because it helps with the human behavior side of things. Um, in terms of, you know, you going out and buying things like China mobile.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So you don't, you don't want that. You don't want that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's critical, right? Even, uh, as i mentioned before when when i saw the when i saw qld as the ticker the 2x you know qqq etf pop out i was like i like i have zero interest in owning that right zero interest and and then i i was also um and i, I was talking to my wife you know about what our our investments are going to be and said well should we even have etfs as you know possible or funds as possible in things we buy And basically came to the conclusion that if it wasn't this particular one that popped out, that I wouldn't have even questioned it. And so, therefore, I can't question it categorically.
0: Actually, I think that's so interesting um, because I would never if I I built your model, I want to have ETFs in there. Um, Because your hypothesis with like your previous research and how your brain thinks about it is is relates to this flywheel that happens within a company, right? That says this company is better and has better management or better performance or better momentum or whatever. Um, and so to have an ETF pop up in the model, that hypothesis kind of falls on its face a little bit in my eyes. It's like, no, this isn't a company. This is a collection of companies. So it it's more about your momentum strategy than it is about this intrinsic leadership piece of what's actually happening there. I want to make sure that I'm making
1: the choice not because of what popped up, but categorically. And you said it's QQQ. It's the no, it's like this is a 2X, the QQ. So it's Q L D. QLD, QLD oh. is the ticker. It's it's QQQ levered. Yeah. Two X? Yeah. Oh my no I know. No. <laughs> yeah, but no. but I know, but here's the thing is like I like I can't say no. Unless I'm saying it categorically. Well, he, no you can't you
0: absolutely okay you absolutely can because so first of all it's not a company second of all like if i was in a stock market where i could buy ge or i could buy ge2x or i could buy ge4x like i want to put ge2x and ge4x (laughs) in my screen like they just want to it's not i don't think that falls into your i mean this is why we're supposed to write down our investing hypotheses and, you know, like have everything in writing. So when you understand an issue like this, you can be like, you can go back and be like, no, the heart of what I'm trying to do here is invest in companies that are non levered or whatever it is. Yeah. But I don't know how many stocks are in QQQ, but call it a hundred, right? Yeah. What's meeting your criteria might be driven by seven of those a hundred companies, you know, and really it could be seven of those 100 companies could be at 15x which those companies wouldn't meet your screen and a bunch of those companies could be at 2x which wouldn't meet your screen but the aggregate of that nonsense would meet your screen when it's levered two times like i think you're so far away from the actual heart That's of what you're trying to invest in yeah um that it's just a bunch of math don't buy it dude and uh, have fun losing money on china mobile